Back into the Sons of Saturday, Virginia Tech Hoops Pod. My name is Mike McDaniel. I'm joined by Ed Williams. I am using my computer mic, Ed, because there are people moving downstairs where I usually record in my garage, and it's chaos out there. So hopefully my audio isn't too bad for this podcast. Nah, you sound good. We get to talk about some less than ideal uh, topics here, but your your situation seems to be working out just fine over there. Less than ideal recording, less than ideal content. Let's let's let it roll. Yeah, for sure. So we recorded last week right after the Notre Dame game, and Virginia Tech is in the midst right now of a really tough five-game stretch where they have four road games in uh, five games. Uh, Virginia Tech started out by beating NC State and then subsequently losing to Boston College over the weekend and losing to North Carolina on the road in Chapel Hill last night as we sit here recording on Tuesday. Tech's got Miami this week, or not even this weekend. They got Miami tomorrow night, Wednesday. And then they play Florida State on the road this weekend. And Ed, this team is now 10 and 9 overall. Uh, they are 13th in the ACC, sitting with a 2 and 6 record. Only Georgia Tech has a worse record in conference play right now. This is a team that we thought was probably one of the five best teams in the ACC coming into the year. And I finally resigned to the fact and I and you know we've we've talked about how the fan base and, and people on the, the the Twitter mob you know as we call them they were out to get this team and I said hey let, let's let's calm down the metrics still like Virginia Tech there's an opportunity in front of them to still play better basketball losing to Boston College on the road in Chestnut Hill was the one thing we said they could not do and Virginia Tech led a bunch in the first half um, they, they were up five. It felt like by five or six for most of the half. And then the second half went cold shooting, did not play well in the final minutes, which has been a theme this year. And Virginia Tech falls to a bad Boston College team on the road in Chestnut Hill, loses to North Carolina on the road. North Carolina is a good team, um, lost to them in Chapel Hill uh, last night. And I, I think Virginia Tech is in a really tough spot. I think this is a bad basketball team, Ed. Um, I, I think there's talent on the roster. I just think, and, you know, folks are talking, I know I'm rambling here a little bit. I'll turn it over to you in a second. I know that people are talking about the talent on the roster not being where it needs to be. I agree with that to some extent, but I think there's also enough talent on this roster where this team should be playing a lot better than it has. And there's a reason why this team had preseason expectations coming into the year. So I think saying that this team doesn't have ACC players or, you know, doesn't have enough talent on the roster, I think is revisionist history. Um, because if that were the case, I think Virginia Tech uh, would not have had the preseason expectations that a lot of us had for them coming into the year. A lot of the national media had for them coming into the year. This is a surprise that they've played this poorly, but I think at this point, they're a very flawed basketball team. The margin for error is really thin, and they've been bad, Ed. There's no question about it. Yeah, the margins are very thin for this team. Um, they, they have to do a lot of things well in order to win games. Um, both due to the style of play that Virginia Tech uses, but also due to uh, the lack of depth in the roster construction and where it currently sits. Margins are thin if this team's going to win games, and it doesn't take much for it to kind of spiral. We've seen that all year long, even in wins. Um, Other teams have a tendency to go on big runs against us. Uh, Other teams' big men often find themselves having career days against us. Um, Thin margins for this team. And, you know, it's very, it's very unfortunate because 
you know, I wrote down right before we started the five games off the top of my head, I could think of that we were winning or had a chance late and could not close. We're 0 and 5. Xavier, Boston College, Virginia, and North Carolina, and North Carolina State. All games that at one point in time we were winning or had a chance late in the game, and we're 0 and 5. Um, that's due to a variety of things. And you know, you're not gonna you're not going to have any real postseason aspirations if you can't close out games you should win or even steal games that maybe you shouldn't win. Um, last night against Carolina was a game that they, honestly, in my opinion, should have won. They were winning for most of the game. Um, I will say I thought the officiating was horrendous last night. But that, yeah, besides the point, besides the point, they were Virginia Tech was still right there uh, with the lead, had a chance to win. Um, some weird plays took place at the end of the half. David Gasson misses a layup or a dunk, sorry, and uh, gets a technical foul for trying to touch the ball while he's still hanging on the rim. That's like a five- or six-point swing right there. Um, it's just this team can't get out of its own way right now. And I, I, I don't agree with a lot of the um, narrative around this team as to why they're not good. I will talk about why I think they're not good. Um, but, yeah, it's been a very frustrating year, and I'm hoping at this point they can – make things at least interesting down the stretch and win enough games to, you know, make it NIT or uh, push some people in the ACC tournament. Cause there is enough talent on this team to win games in college basketball. Um, I just don't think there's the depth to win enough games. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's, it's a little silly to think that this team doesn't have any talent, you know, that seems to be like a narrative floating around now. I just don't really agree with that at all. I just don't think they've played very well. Uh, I am going to make the case now because we're going to talk about current issues surrounding this team with, with, with this year's team. And then we're going to get into a conversation about recruiting because I've seen that floating around on social media. And I'm not sure some of the things that are being said I necessarily agree with. So we'll talk about that in a minute. As far as the current roster is concerned, I think the time has come to give Sean Padula a lot more minutes. Uh, when he's been in, he's been able to create in a way that Storm Murphy has not been able to um, offensively. And I don't mean scoring. Um, he's been scoring better too, but more of creating for his teammates, uh, penetrating, getting in the lane, uh, dishing off to, to his teammates, whether it's Mutz or Aluma or whoever else underneath. It seems like a signature move for Padula at this point is to get to the rim, get his defender in the air, and make one of those wraparound passes to Aluma or Mutz. I feel like every time Padula's in the game, I see that happen at least once. I'm not necessarily advocating that Sean Padula should start. I think it's totally up to Mike Young's discretion, but I do think he needs to play a lot more than he has. Um, I've thought that all along, but I, I think that that's something that really needs to come to the forefront now, especially with this team reeling, sitting around 500 um, at, at around the halfway mark in ACC play. Yeah, I I mean, we've seen it in the past couple games, especially Padula playing more, um, even at times playing with Storm Murphy and even Hunter Couture. That was a really, really small lineup they had on the floor at one point. I actually, I and I, I actually like that. I actually like that, by the way. Like, I think that's that's something that yeah. Mike Young can, can mess around with. We've seen more of that lately where Murphy and uh, Padula are on the floor at the same time, which I'm a fan of in spurts. Yeah, it's really hard for me to organize my thoughts here because everything ties back into each other. So I have a tendency to kind of just go on this cyclical um, rant over and yep. over again about all the issues this team has because everything ties into each other. But 
Sean Padula brings one aspect of the game that the rest of the guys don't, and that's the ability to break his defender down one-on-one and get by somebody. He's by no means Justin Robinson or Kyrie Irving, but he's able to do it in a way that the other guys can't. Um, oftentimes with really good success around the rim, either dumping it off to a big man or scoring himself. That, to me, the lack of that in the starting five and the finishing five is why this team is 0-5 in those close games. They don't have Tyrese Radford, who would take those shots late in games last year. Can Sean Padula be Tyrese Radford as a freshman? No, I don't think he can. But I do think he can help you a lot in spurts. And I do think there's a direct correlation in the last two games, Boston College and North Carolina, where Virginia Tech is leading coming into the under five or whatever timeout situation and spits the bet and loses the game. Both of those times, Sean Padula is playing up until that five minute mark. And then Storm Murphy comes back in to finish the game and the offense sputters and we lose. Um, I don't think that's Storm's fault. I think it's partially Storm's fault. I also think it's a um, little bit of a coaching philosophy that I'm a little frustrated with, which is, Let's just hammer the ball into Justin Mutz and Kevin Aluma down the stretch and hope things work out for the best. And I get it. You have to play through your best players. Um, but at a certain point, you know, other teams know what you're doing. And it's basically just pounded inside and everybody else stand around and watch the two big men try to score in the other five uh, offensive situations. And we're 0-5 doing that. Um, the offense in the first half, especially last night against Carolina, was much more multi-dimensional, Hamelaine's hitting shots, coming off screens. Hunter Couture had a good night. Um, you need those guys if you're going to win games. And, you know, I would love to see this offense try to play through Hunter Couture more. I know it's tough to do when you're a spot-up shooter, but he's even shown the ability to get to the basket and go up and try to dunk on somebody before. So this team needs someone who can beat their guy off the perimeter. Um, Padula can do that in ISO situations. Storm can do that, but it's more – uh, out of deception than it is out of a blow by ability, I guess. I mean, right. he can, he has, you know, that veteran savvy where he can, you know, drag his defender down off a ball screen and make them think he's going to pass it one way. And then he goes to the basket and makes a layup like he did early last night against Carolina. Um, his ability to do that is out of veteran savvy and Padula's is out of ability. And I think they need more of that. And Sean Padula is a really good player. And I'm really excited about the future for him in a Virginia Tech uniform, but I also want that future to be much more immediate as much as possible. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I, I think this is, you know, for, for fans that are still, I don't know how many of you are out there, but if there's fans out there still holding out hope that this team as currently constituted is going to turn it around, that's fine. But I think that you can find ways to kind of look to the future and integrate some of these young pieces while also improving the play for the current season. Like I think playing Sean Padula more would be a net positive for this team. I think playing Darius Maddox more than like four minutes a game would be a net positive for this team. Now, the, the thing about Padula versus Maddox is I think Padula as a freshman is a little bit more ready than Maddox as a sophomore. Like Maddox, I think right now is, is struggling defensively. He's kind of a one trick pony offensively, but he makes shots, right? He makes shots when he's in the game. And for an offense that's sputtering as much as it is with the starting five and finishing five, like you mentioned, that it ends up being the same guys. Like Virginia Tech needs more of that, you know, breakdown ability off the dribble. Padula does provide that. Um, Naheem Aline has been better recently. Now, he didn't shoot a great in the NC State win, but that's kind of been an outlier. If you look at his last five or six games, he's shooting around 40% from the floor. So 
you know, there's there's this narrative out here that Naheem Aline is, has lost offensive confidence, and I don't think he ever really lost his offensive confidence. He wouldn't have been shooting it 15 times per game even when he was struggling. I don't think he's lost confidence. I just don't think he would shoot it very well. Uh, he's been better shooting it recently uh, with the exception of that NC State game. He had a fine game last night against UNC. He played fine against uh, Boston College as well over the weekend. Hunter Couture has been good all year. He's been, he's been very consistent on both ends of the floor. And Aluma has been good. Uh, Mutz defensively was great last night, I thought. Uh, they, they gave Baycott fits underneath. I know he finished like 14 and 20 or whatever it was uh, before he fouled out, but uh, they did not make it easy on Baycott underneath at all, um, Mutz or Aluma. I thought the defense was really good. They, they made him earn everything. He's just a real – Baycott's a really good player, right? At some point, you got to tip your cap. But, you know, I thought the defense last night underneath was pretty good. I think the defense as a whole more recently – has been better. Um, the efficiency numbers defensively don't necessarily reflect that. I think Virginia Tech is 13th or 14th in the conference right now in defensive efficiency. They got off to a really rough start uh, this year on that end of the floor. We've talked about that extensively on this podcast, but I thought last night overall was a step in the right direction defensively. Um, Virginia Tech made North Carolina earn everything they got. Uh, Brady Manick hits a few shots. <laughs> like at some point, it's just kind of, he's, he's just really good. You know, um, he was good at Oklahoma. He's good at North Carolina. Yeah. You know, he's just a very good player. And, and Baycott was causing Virginia tech fits with his rebounding, but that's what he does. And it's the reason why, you know, he, he's an all ACC and, and borderline all American type guy when he's able to get, you know, 15 and 20, but Virginia tech as a whole right now, I think what it really boils down to is what it's boiled down to all year. The inability of having a guy who can break down their guy off the dribble, get by him and find a bucket, right? Naheem Aline has tried to be that guy. It hasn't worked. He's forced up a lot of contested shots. Uh, Storm Murphy, I think everybody expected him to, to be that guy because he was kind of that guy at Wofford. Um, nobody decided to defend him on the perimeter at Wofford and he shot the lights out. Uh, they defend the perimeter a lot better in the ACC, and he's having trouble getting his shot off. Uh, Darius Maddox isn't playing a ton uh, right now, but he's the only other guy that I can reference on this roster who's able, um, at least on the wing, to get their own shot off. And I think Padula needs to play more for his ability to break down his guy off the dribble and create for others, something that Storm Murphy has, has been unable to do. For, to your point, Ed, it's really out of deception for Storm Murphy. I think that's a really good point because there are times where he gets by his guy, but he's so small that once he gets to the rim, I don't think anybody's worried about him actually putting it up and scoring. Um, he's got to be pretty wide open to make those layups underneath. So those are, those are the core issues with this team right now. Um, the offense down the stretch, you referenced this as well, really, really frustrating because I've seen this in, in a bunch of these conference losses where Virginia Tech just tries to feed it into Aluma and Mutz, and it's like everybody just dump it in and everybody just stand around, right? They have the, they have the cut at the top of the key uh, to get the ball out to the wing. Um, they give it to whoever it is, Couture or Erlene. They dump it inside to Mutz or Aluma, and then they pound the rock five times to take a contested like six-footer over a really good defender. And that doesn't work with a lot of success. And when you're not really doing anything else offensively, the book is out on you at this point, right? And I think that's what Virginia Tech's struggling right now. They are very one-dimensional offensively. They, yes, they need to play through their best players, but the other guys need to contribute too. And I just don't think we've seen enough of the other guys contributing all year outside of Aluma and Mutz um, underneath. And Mutz has struggled offensively for much of the year too. So this is just a really... 
it's a flawed team, Ed. Like tech needs more guys who can who can create off the bounce. Um, and and I think the hesitation with Mike Young is that those guys that can create off the bounce a little bit better than some of the older guys on the roster. Like these guys are young, right? Padula is young. Maddox is young. Um, Aline is the only guy who I think can create off the dribble, but he takes so many pull-up contested jumpers that he shoots like 25% from the floor on his bad shooting nights. So those are the real issues with this team right now. I just don't see that getting any better. Yeah. And I don't don't know if we're quite ready to get into the recruiting conversation yet, but it all, it all folds into each other. Um, But I think you made a good point on Aline that I want people to understand and hammer home as much as possible. Has he had a disappointing year? Absolutely. He's averaging 10 points a game, which is great, which is probably where you'd think he would be preseason, but it's only on 34% shooting, which is not ideal. Why is that the case? I think you just touched on it, and I want people to really think about this. Who is the guy taking the contested shots late in the clock for this team? It's Naheem Aline. And those aren't shots that you want him taking. And they, it's, it's a, it has a spiraling effect. If you're taking bad shots and you're missing, you're probably going to miss some open shots too. Um, we saw this last night against Carolina in the first half. He was taking good shots that we've seen him take his entire career, and he was making them. Right. Um, when he's not forcing shots or he's not forced to force shots, he's still the player he was last year. The problem is he has been put in that Tyrese Radford role where – He's got to take the shots late in the clock because Storm can't even get his off. And Katora, it's just not really his game. So it's either basically Naheem Aline trying to get a mid-range jumper or get to the rim or Justin Mutz trying to get to the rim, which we've seen him kick the ball around and turn it over when he's trying to dribble on the perimeter and get to the basket. So it kind of comes down to it needs to be Aline. And those shots aren't easy. They're not high percentage. Therefore, low shooting percentage on the year. When he's taking shots, he's taken his whole career. He's making them at a pretty right. good rate. So right. um, I kind of feel for him. I mean, he's kind of the scapegoat right now. Him and Storm are kind of the two scapegoats among the fan base, which I don't think is necessarily fair on either front. Um, I think Aline's issues are more the position he's found himself in on this roster more than anything he's doing on his own. And right. I don't think the narrative around Storm is correct at all. I, I Do I think he's bad? No. Do I think he did I ever think he was going to come here and average 17 a game like he did at Wofford? Absolutely not. I think if you told me he was averaging 8.2, 2.7 assists on 44% shooting at this point in the year, I, I would think that's a win and we'd be doing pretty right. well in the standings. But right. um, that's that hasn't been the case. Uh, I think our expectations as a fan base for Naheem Malane and Storm Murphy were probably higher than they should have been. And that's, you know, directly correlated to our frustrations with those two guys now. Um, my biggest thing with this team and the issues I think they have are physicality and toughness on the inside, especially. Um, and I, you know what, I mean, I might as well say it cause only two guys play on the inside, Justin Mutz and Kevin Aluma have had issues. Um, mainly Kevin Aluma that's Justin Mutz is a very physical, gritty player. Yep. Um, I know that's a buzzword in the Virginia tech world, but that's kind of who he is. And, you know, that's why he was guarding Armando Baycott yesterday, despite the size limitations that he has in a matchup like that. He provides an element of physicality and toughness that Keve Aluma just flat out doesn't. Um, Aluma got bullied in Boston College. Aluma got bullied when he was on Baycott last night. I don't know what else to say because he gives you so much on offense, but there's times where he may as well not even cross half court. 
Uh, he may as well not even be there down low. He's so worried about getting fouls and or just getting flat out bullied. Uh, there's times when he may as well just not even cross half court. Um, it's caused a lot of issues. That's why we see big men like the kid on Boston College having career nights against us routinely is they're just bullying us down low, second chance points after second chance points. Um, Carolina is a team that does that to you anyway, so that was not overly surprising, but the second chance points against Boston College and North Carolina is the reason we lost both of the game. And the inability to rebound from, you know, your ACC player of the year type guy is incredibly frustrating to watch. Um, you know, the whole rest of the roster needs some help rebounding too, but, you know, it's easy to point at him and be kind of frustrated with it. So there's that on the physicality and toughness standpoint. I think that's where this team is really lacking. Um, they don't have anybody on this team who has the, has shown the ability to kind of bow up and, you know, stop a run or play really hard defense. I mean, they had to put Jalen Haynes in yesterday to guard Armando Baycott. Jalen Haynes hasn't played since non-conference play. He's a true freshman. Like, you got to have other guys on your roster who are willing to get down there and muck it up with a big physical guy in Armando Baycott. Um, it's just very frustrating. I know I'm rambling on this topic at this point, but um, super frustrating to get out toughed and out physicaled by some of these teams that were more talented than, I mean, we have more basketball skill on this roster than UNC does. They're just way more athletic. And right. I know we'll talk about the athletic piece when we get into the recruiting here, but um, physicality and toughness is definitely the biggest thing that I'm frustrated with. And then other than that, you know, we've talked about it before in bits and pieces throughout the year. But, you know, when it comes to the roster construction and the team that's on the floor right now this year, what they're missing is that guy who can go get his own shot. That guy was Tyrese Radford. He was supposed to be back. Um, he waited until the last possible minute to make that decision to go to Texas A&M and kind of left Mike Young and staff, you know, call it their pants down in a way that I don't think they had planned to be and had planned the roster to be. Right. Um, I think they all thought he was coming back. I think the staff from all accounts worked really hard to help Radford navigate through those legal issues. Um, what it came down to is I, I don't think he was able to drive in Virginia. So therefore he left Virginia um, and left this roster and the staff in a spot that I don't think they were planning to be. Uh, I think if he had left earlier in the cycle, they would have gone harder in the portal after a, you know, a slashing wing player. Right. They thought they had Tyrese Radford coming back. He didn't come back, and that has has impacted this roster in a way that I didn't even think it was going to. Um, I thought it was going to impact the roster, but I thought that we would grow through it during non-conference and find ourselves okay around this time. Um, right. That growth never came. Radford is in A&M. They're having a good year. Um, I, I don't know how you blame Mike Young for that. I, I think he thought he was getting a guy back who was going to give him you know 12 points a game. And it didn't happen. And now here we are, guys kind of in situations that they maybe shouldn't be in. Um, it's frustrating. And, you know, it is what it is. You have to deal with the hand you're dealt. But that's one outside circumstance in terms of roster construction that I really want people to think about a little bit. I agree. Yeah, I, I totally underestimated the Radford departure, too. And it's, you know, folks listening are going to be like, how could you guys have done that? Well, it's not that we ever said that Radford wasn't a big loss. It was just, I felt like some of these wing players would have uh, supplemented 
Radford's offensive slashing ability a bit more than they probably have like Aline and Couture and I thought Storm would be better as a slasher quite honestly so that kind of is what it is um, I don't want to everybody gets the point right like this team this team's flawed thin margin for error uh, we don't need to ramble too much more on this but I think some immediate fixes um, to at least get this team playing a little bit better um, towards the end of the year, I, I would give Padula more minutes. I think that's the most obvious thing to do right now, whether that's playing with Storm Murphy or replacing Storm Murphy um, for some minutes. I, I think that's what you need to do right now, just because I think, especially in the last five minutes of games, but also all throughout the game, you know, this team is just missing another guy who can create off the dribble. Uh, the, the Storm Padula lineup, that pairing together is attractive from an offensive standpoint because I think it takes some of the pressure off Storm from a ball handling standpoint. We saw in the game last night against North Carolina where Padula and Storm were playing together in the last eight minutes of that game. And you saw that Padula was the primary ball handler and Storm was coming off the wing, which I'm not sure how much I love that in larger sample sizes, but I think in a pinch here or there, you know, you can take some pressure off Storm as the primary ball handler and allow him to potentially get to the rim and create for others. Um, and, and Padula, you know, I, I think he provides the ability to break his guy down off the dribble that I think would really help the lineup if he played more offensively. So I know, I'm sure Mike Young's worried about defense. That's why Darius Maddox hasn't played more. Uh, I think that Darius Maddox should play a little bit more because I think the team right now, defensively they're they're struggling anyway you know they've been playing a little bit better recently but they're struggling defensively anyway I think you might as well just try to like get your five best offensive guys out there and try to at least outscore the bad teams in the ACC like the Boston College game shouldn't have happened like you should have been able to outscore Boston College and you didn't um the first NC State game it was coming off COVID so I want to kind of throw that out but it's not in a lot of ways just given NC State's talent that shouldn't have happened um and, and there's <clears throat> some teams coming up here uh, the Virginia Tech's going to play after they get through this Miami Florida state stretch where, you know, the Hokies play, you know, they play a pit team they, they play Georgia tech, like teams that they should be able to outscore similar to Boston college and NC state. So maybe just put your five best offensive guys out there um, for larger stretches throughout the game and see what they can do. Um, and if that doesn't work, you know, we know this is a flawed team anyway, but I think at this point you're at least looking to the future a little bit by giving Padula and Maddox some more minutes and, you know, maybe helping the team in the near term as well. But Ed, I don't know if you have anything to add uh, to that, but I want to definitely get into recruiting, which, you know, we've been talking about here before we hit record, you did some research on this and just kind of listed out the names. We talked a little bit about it before we hit record, but I want to at least have you lead the recruiting conversation here. No, I don't really have anything else to add on the, you know, the games to come. I think there's going to be some more losses before there's some more wins. I think that the schedule is not ideal. Um, it is what it is at this point. I hope this team can find ways to make the rest of the year very productive leading into the future, and I think they'll do that. Um, yeah, so I have up in front of me the 24-7 sports um, layout of our entire roster, and it's kind of funny because, you know, our best player is Keve Aluma, and a lot of fans would probably say that our second best player, or maybe our most consistent and important player, is Hunter Couture. They are both, one, not rated in their recruiting profile ever in Keve Aluma, 
and an 82, which is the lowest of our rated players on the roster in Hunter Couture. I'm not going to sit here and tell you stars don't matter in basketball because stars often equate to athletes and we need athletes in a really bad way. Um, but I do want to acknowledge that basketball is not football. Um, there is ways for guys to get really good um, late in their college career. And Kevin Aluma has done that. Justin Mutz has done that. He's our second lowest rated guy on the roster of the rated people. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and say stars don't matter. They totally matter. Don't get me wrong. But I don't want it like everyone, the common theme on Twitter and, you know, in all these different group chats and things like that and stuff I'm reading is, you know, we have too many Wofford guys. Okay, well, what does that mean? Because one of the Wofford guys is, you know, the second leading scorer in the ACC right now. I mean, just because he came from somewhere doesn't mean he's not a good player and he's not productive. I mean, Kevin Luma's scoring at a crazy rate is offensive game is extremely polished um so i don't really you know the whole wofford guy thing is really stupid to me um on the flip side of that the highest rated guy on the roster doesn't play Lynn kid was a 95 coming out of high school he's 6'10 240 and ginormous and he can't get on the roster or can't get on the court so they matter stars matter and there's some things in this that i'm looking at that are really exciting moving forward but the idea that the Wofford guys are the reason we're being held back is delusional to me because even if you take a step back to last year, Tyrese Radford was one of our best players. Go look at his recruiting profile. You're not going to find much that you're going to like. So um, there's a ways to evaluate your way to success in college basketball. Um, Buzz did a pretty good job with that with some guys. You know, Ty Outlaw was a JUCO kid, came in, was extremely productive for Virginia Tech in his time. Um, and then Tyrese Radford was a buzz eval of a guy who not a lot of people talked about in high school, but was a very good player and still is for Texas A&M and Buzz Williams. So uh, same with Kevin Aluma, Hunter Couture, Storm Murphy, zero rating on his recruiting profile. So there's ways to evaluate your way to success. Now, break. Let's go to the next topic. This roster, the idea that Mike Young hasn't done a good job recruiting and then this roster um is in a terrible place i don't agree with i don't either that feels overblown that feels overblown to me it's extremely overblown and you have to look at the situations that their staff was in at the time that the class signed um to really get a full picture of you know why they probably took on some of the guys they did um when they did it that's a big piece of this in basketball you don't have the roster that you have in football where you can just you know, if you have three running backs on your roster who you don't think are good enough, you can recruit three more who are better, and those three guys will leave. There's only so many scholarships in basketball. You can't just waste them in hopes that you're going to over-recruit a guard and that other guard will leave and you'll be okay. You, you can't do that in basketball. There's not enough numbers to do that, in my opinion. Um, what Mike Young has done is very interesting because he came in and this roster was completely gutted. Um, all the incoming guys who were signed with Virginia Tech decommitted and left, went elsewhere, went with Buzz, went you know, other places. Uh, he needed bodies in a really bad way from the time he was announced as the head coach of Virginia Tech. So what did he do? He went out and got bodies. He got Jalen Cohn, who was a borderline top 100 player, to graduate high school early and come in, who was very productive. John Ogiaco, Naheem Aline, and Hunter Couture, in that order in terms of their recruiting ranking. John Ogiaco was – 
an 88, a high three-star when he committed to Virginia Tech. Nahima Lane in 86 and Hunter Couture in 82. You can make an argument that of those four guys, the best one who's produced the most at this level is the guy who was rated the lowest in Hunter Couture. I think it's inarguable. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't get it, man. So anyway, brings in four guys year one. That doesn't even include Keve Aluma, who is the team's best player as a transfer from Wofford. So he completely overhauls the roster because he needed to do so. Year two, he all of a sudden has a roster full of guys who are, you know, they've struggled in year one, but they won some games they shouldn't have won. And it was, you know, they made it more interesting than we thought they would have. Year two, his first full recruiting cycle as the head coach of Virginia Tech. Four-star Joe Bamasil, four-star Darius Maddox, David Ingasan, and he brings in Justin Mutz out of the portal. That's a very good recruiting class by every metric. I don't understand. And who is complaining about that, right? Like, yeah. on the surface, nobody was complaining about it. And you know what? It, to the point, and I don't want to cut you off, but to the point where the concern about Mike Young when he came to Virginia Tech was recruiting. You remember that? Everybody was concerned. Okay, how's he going to recruit in the ACC? He won 299 games at Wofford. Can he recruit in the ACC? That was a question. And then he put together that recruiting class. And whatever, what did everybody say on social media? We were wrong. We were wrong. This team played better than expected in year one. This is a great recruiting class in year two. He's got, you know, he had Chester Frazier and Christian Webster on the staff, and he's got guys who can create uh, create this, this vibe and this culture around Virginia Tech that, you know, a lot of people weren't sure if Mike Young, you know, could really garnish that same sort of momentum on the recruiting trail that Buzz Williams did with his staff. Lo and behold, that's exactly what Mike Young did. Yeah, I, he, he, I don't get it. The idea that he needs to change and adjust and redo all these things he's done with his recruiting strategy to me doesn't make any sense. So anyway, so he brings in those four guys, two really highly rated guys from the state of Virginia. I understand Joe Bama still left. I'll touch on that at the end here. But um, his year three cycle, he's all of a sudden got a roster that is in the tournament. And he's got a lot of guys who have proven that they can play at this level. And he's, you know, doing some really good things, winning ACC coach of the year. He's got a lot of guys who aren't going to graduate. Therefore, he can't bring in as many guys. It's a numbers game. So he brings in Sean Badula, who we are all extremely excited about, and Jalen Haynes, who is, by all accounts, a project, but got on the floor against Carolina last night in Carolina. So, you know, he must be doing some things right. Didn't have a lot of bodies. Brought in a really good eval and a decently highly rated kid in Sean Badula, who's going to help them for the next three, four years. Then all of a sudden, he's got guys leaving. And he needs to replace the Aleens and the Kators and the Mutzes and the Alumas. So what does he do for next year's recruiting class? Oh, he signs the third highest rated kid in school history, Rodney Rice, out of DeMatha to come in and play oh, probably right away, along with MJ Collins and Patrick Wessler, who are both very, very good. But Ed, but Ed I thought he only signed Rodney Rice because his high school coach was Mike Jones. Yeah, I'm sure it helped. But, I mean, we got to give Mike Young credit for, I don't know, bringing Mike Jones on staff to replace, Chris, uh, to replace Chester Frazier. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, let's not act like let's not act like Mike Young hasn't already signed four star guys before Rodney Rice. Right. Like right. Jalen Cohn, four star guy, Joe Bama, so Darius Maddox, four star guy. He's got four four stars in four years. I know you need more than that to win games. I totally understand that. But numbers games. Let's not act yeah. like he hasn't recruited well. Like he's recruited just fine. Right. No, it's 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 a numbers game, like you mentioned. You can only bring so many guys in when you have a roster full of guys last year, right? Like we just talked about that. We didn't know that BD wasn't coming back until the 11th hour. We didn't know that, 
you know, Tyrese Radford was going to transfer until the 11th hour. Like if Mike Young and his staff had known that, like you mentioned earlier, they would have gone out and they would have gotten a slasher, right? He probably wasn't as concerned about BD not coming back because he figured, okay, I got Storm Murphy coming in and I got a, a point guard I just signed in Tom Padula. Yeah. I, it, to me, it's a false narrative. Um, I understand the narrative. You know, you want more athletes because you do. You watch these games and you can tell we're getting out athleted in most of the losses. And then there's only so much you can do about that. And I understand that, you know, they need to up the athletic ability of this roster. But at the time that he had to recruit these kids, he needed people to play basketball for Virginia Tech. Didn't have that. And he brought in who he could. By all accounts, they've been – they've overplayed or outplayed their recruiting. And, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to bring in a kid and 100 tours all of a sudden not going to play? He's more than good enough to play this. We've seen that defensively and offensively. Uh, you're going to bring in a five-star guy. So, Kevin is not going to play all of a sudden. He's averaging 20 a game. Like, it's just a false narrative to me. I do agree with the met- that the idea that he needs to recruit better in order to get to where we want this program to be, of course. I mean, you could say this the same thing about any program in the country not named Kentucky, Duke, or Kansas. Like, everybody needs to recruit better. But the idea that he has failed in that department, um, to me, is overblown. So that's what he's done so far. Next year's class is extremely exciting. Uh, seven-footer with skill and Patrick Wessler, Rodney Rice. We all know about him. He's probably the best player in his conference, which is an incredibly stacked basketball conference um, in high school. And MJ Collins is a very athletic guy who I think could play multiple positions at the next level. And there might be one more who comes on board here late in the cycle um, to raise that athletic profile of the roster. So I don't know. I think it's a false narrative. And then, of course, people will counter this with – and they're not wrong – with – two four stars have left. Okay, yes, let's look at where they went and what they're doing. Jalen Cohn went to Northern Arizona where he's averaging 19 points a game on a seven and 11 roster. Do we, do we really think that he was gonna average 19 points a game in the ACC? Absolutely not. Nope. 19 points in a game on a seven and 11 roster. Joe Bamisil is averaging 14 points a game on 30 minutes a night on a six and 11 roster guys, six and 11, they're playing for bad teams and they're scoring. Somebody has to score for these bad teams. Yeah. I hope it's the guys who are rated four stars coming out of high school. Yep. They didn't go and average 10 a game at Kansas. They're going to bad programs and they're playing well to their credit. I don't want to take away from those guys. And, you know, Jalen Cohn was always going to have issues in the ACC due to his size. And Joe Bamaso was always going to have issues in this offense due to his inability to shoot, which he's shooting, I believe I just saw 30% from three on the year. Yeah, 30%. Mike Young likes to shoot. I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, yeah, he wasn't – Joe Bamisil was not going to be able to out-athlete everybody in the ACC the way he's doing it at George Washington for a team that is 6-11. and 11. They're not playing for good teams. Let's please stop acting like Mike Young did something wrong by not playing – Joe Bamisil as a freshman, he wasn't ready. We all saw it. He saw glimpses of the ability, but it wasn't consistent enough to play. Once. I don't think. Against Miami, yeah. once. Yeah, and and even on some of his best plays in that game, he's stumbling with the ball up the floor and finishing right. it at the other end. Like, right. please stop hammering the narrative that he can't retain talent either because he's retained the guys who have produced at this level. Would you like to see – the highly rated four-star from Richmond on the roster and having a great year doing all the things he's doing at GW here, of course. Was that in the cards? In my opinion, not at least in year two, it wasn't for him. 
not in year two, right? That's that's my thing. So with the with the transfer portal in the era we're in, um, I think this affects college basketball even more than it affects college football. I mean, we know that college football has like a billion players in the portal and not enough scholarship spots for people, but college basketball is a little bit different because there's so many schools in division one and there's so many places where you can go and be a star and be the player that, you know, you aspire to be. Um, Joe Bamisil needed time, right? Jalen Cohn wanted more of a prominent uh, presence as a ball handler, which he was not going to get in Mike Young's offense. He was going to, and, and really quite honestly, he was not going to get in the ACC period um, due to his size. He was going to be a spot up shooter off the bench or, as a starter, but he was always going to struggle defensively and he would have struggled um, offensively as a primary ball handler. That would not have been his game in the ACC, whereas at Northern Arizona, he can be the primary ball handler and put up 19 a game and, and do that. Um, he's always, he's, look, Mike Young talked about Jalen Cohn as the best shooter in the program last year. So we're not going to pretend like that wasn't a big loss. Virginia Tech could have really used Jalen Cohn this year. Thousand Absolutely. percent. Thousand percent. Um, but, but the discussion here is, you know, about whether or not you know, Virginia Tech has the talent on their on their roster. And I think when you lose when you lose Jalen Cohn off this team, I don't think that bringing Jalen Cohn back onto the team all of a sudden fixes Virginia Tech's issues that are ailing them this year. Right. Like he's a guy who could certainly help with some of the uh, outside shooting for like 15, 17 minutes at night. But he was not going to be a guy who was going to be able to slash to the basket. That wasn't his game. Joe Bamisell, sure, that was his game, but we saw it last year when he played. He was turnover prone, right? And what's something everybody's screaming about on social media with Virginia Tech's wings, especially Naheem Aline, right? He's turnover prone. That's what everybody's been yelling about on social media. Joe Bamisell is doing the same thing. They've been yelling about him too. So, And he's doing it at GW. He's averaging close to three turnovers a game at GW. Yeah, so he's doing an extended minutes at GW. Um, so... Yeah, I, you know, we were all excited about – I don't want to do this revisionist history thing. We were all excited about Bamisil. We know what kind of prospect he was, what kind of player he could be, but it was going to take some time in the ACC um, and, and some, some more time than I think a lot of us were anticipating, you know, when he came in. We thought that he might just come in and, and be good, and then we saw pretty quickly that he was still kind of a project, right? Um, shooting use could use some work. He was turning the ball over, you know, when he, when he did play extended minutes. So – yeah, I mean, this is an era where if guys aren't playing right away, they're going to look elsewhere where they can, you know, find what they're looking for. And that's what happened with Cone and Bamisil. And that's what I think could happen with maybe a guy like Darius Maddox. I don't want to sit here and speculate, but I think if Darius Maddox continues playing five or six minutes per game throughout the rest of the season, I think he's a guy who could probably transfer, especially when considering who Virginia Tech is bringing in next year. So I, I just think that's something to monitor. I think it's something to take into consideration. I'm not sure we're at the point in time where we can just hammer Mike Young for not being able to retain talent. I think that's kind of garbage um, considering the individual situations of those two guys in particular. Mm -hmm. There were some extenuating circumstances in their play style that were, that were always going to be limited here. Um, Joe Bamasa wasn't going to play 30 minutes a night as a sophomore in Virginia Tech. At Virginia Tech, right. he just wasn't going to do it. And Jalen Cunn wasn't going to play point guard at Virginia Tech. Um, it is what it is. Those guys – looked out for what was best for them, no harm, no foul. But you can't just sit there and say – the point, I guess, the overarching point is Mike Young has brought talent into this program. Right. Period. He's got three freshmen because Darius Maddox is a redshirt freshman and by all accounts, and Lynn Kidd is basically a freshman. And Sean Padula, those three guys who are all freshmen in my mind 
are all the three highest rated guys in the roster coming back next year, slated to come back next year. Lane Kidd's a 95, Maddox 95, Champadula a 92. So the younger guys coming back are highly recruited. So if people want stars, there's your stars. There's some more coming in along with those guys who will be true freshmen next year. There's a lot going on with this roster that's very frustrating for a lot of people, and I totally get that. Um, I think there's, you know, I'm still going to watch every game because I can't help myself, but, right. you know, 0-5 in close games that I can recall off the top of my head on a scratch piece of paper before this podcast started. That's not going to get it done. You know, you win two of those, you win three of those, we feel so much better about where we currently sit, um, especially if you win the right ones. You know, if you win Xavier and UNC, you know, you feel pretty good. Um, the margins are super thin for this team due to a variety of reasons, both in the staff's control and out of the staff's control. Um, the staff can recruit, and there's still a lot to look forward to. I mean, in a lot of ways, I know Andrew um, Alex said this on the Twitter space after, I guess that was the BC game. You know, in a lot of ways, if you flipped year two and year three of this staff, you'd feel pretty good. So right. if you said last year we didn't make a tournament and this year we were going to, you'd feel pretty good. So um, take the whole body of work, take one NCAA appearance in three years and think about, you know, how you would have felt if someone told you that the day of Mike Young's press conference saying we make one tournament in the first three years, you'd feel pretty good. Right. Um, regardless of which year that was along the way, you'd feel pretty good. So um, let's not hammer this staff yet. It just seems a little premature for me. Yeah. Totally agree. Uh, all right. So let's see how Virginia Tech plays the rest of the week. Um, I don't have high expectations. Uh, do well. We'll see what happens. Tech hosts Miami uh, Wednesday, and then they go on the road to Florida State this weekend. Two teams are playing pretty good basketball right now. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see how uh, we'll see how that turns out, Ed. And um, I don't know. I mean, maybe Virginia Tech steals one, surprises everybody, and you know, maybe we feel a little bit better. I just want to see this team play a little bit better down the stretch and maybe see some of the younger guys get some, get some more action, get some more playing time. And I think, you know, have, have some people feel optimistic about the future. Cause I think people are too quick to, you know, bury this team and then bury the future as well in regard to the coaching staff who they're bringing in and not recruiting well enough. I mean, I think people just got to find somebody to blame. So I think that's really what it's boiling down to, but. Yeah. I mean, um, I've seen people already say like, this roster's cooked until 2024. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I guess you're going to lose like Kevin Aluma, but there's a lot of stuff to still like about this roster and depth wise, they should be even better next year. So I don't know that it's cooked till 2024. Let's just see what happens. There's a lot of youth on this roster and there'll be a lot of youth on this roster next year. Um, that, that happens when you have a predominantly old team, there's going to be some turnover and things are going to look a little different. So um, it's, I, I want to watch Maddox and I want to watch Padula and I want to watch, David Gasson down the stretch and we'll see kind of what those guys look like. Um, hopefully they can all make some positive strides towards the future. It's uh, it's just, it's so silly to say, Oh yeah, the roster's cooked till 2024 when nobody had any expectations for the first two years, all of a sudden Virginia tech is beating tournament teams in year one and making a tournament year two. So let's just pump the brakes a little bit. That's, that's all I'll, that's all I'll say about that. Yep. All right, Ed, we'll talk next week. 